He's a man of all trades. He's a producer, writer, a host, and lots more. And now this talented gentleman is heading east for a new off-Broadway show. So now, I double dare you to keep listening as we're about to unwrap an all-new episode of Up Next. Hello everyone, I'm John Contratti and welcome to the show. My guest today is producer, game show host, talk show host, podcaster, the list goes on. He has a new off-Broadway show, The Life and Slimes of Mark Summers, which is running at the New World Stages beginning February 14th. I know I'll be going. Please welcome to the show, Mark Summers. John, how's life? Life is good. How's life with you? Busy, crazy, trying to uh, you know juggle about five balls in the air, and I'm not a juggler, so I'm I'm working hard uh, trying to get organized. But busy is good, right? Yeah, always. Uh, always would rather be busy than sitting around doing nothing. Indiana boy, growing up, did you enjoy television and movies? Did that interest you? I was never into movies. Interesting, uh, but I've always been a TV guy. Uh, I was glued to the television set. It's so funny because my wife, who's a native Californian. Uh, never watched TV because they went outside because it was nice 360 days of the year. But when you live in the Midwest or on the East Coast, you realize that there's cold weather and rain and snow. And so I got hooked on to Steve Allen and Johnny Carson. Uh, I was into comedians instantaneously. Ed Sullivan Show, anything with variety, I was watching. Did you have aspirations of being a performer? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, It's like I've known what I've wanted to do forever. And when I would watch Alan King on the Ed Sullivan show or Johnny Carson or Dick Cavett, you name it, uh, George Carlin, I, I was trying to figure out how do you get to do that? College. What was your major? Uh, <laughs> I went to a place called Graham Junior College. It was a school of misfits. Uh, I went with a guy by the name of Bert Dubrow, who created uh, Sally Jesse Raphael and Jerry Springer. Um, Paul Fusco created Alf, Andy Kaufman. Uh, so it's an interesting group of people. And I was uh, majoring in broadcast management, figuring that if the uh, career uh, in front of the camera didn't work, I would uh, buy and uh, run uh, radio and TV stations. That was in Boston, correct? That college? 100%. Right. So when you want to get into the entertainment field and you don't know if it's going to happen or not, you have a backup plan. I want to be a lawyer. I don't know. Never. Uh, no backup plan because you know what if you have a backup plan chances are you'll you'll use it and so um i just had my eye on the ball uh decided when i got to los angeles i was never going to take a job outside of show business which i never did um i i never was a server at a restaurant i never worked at macy's uh not that there's anything wrong with that but i figured if i started doing that then it was one step out the door and uh, the worst job i ever had there was a chain of restaurants here in California called Hungry Tiger. And I worked as a DJ at night, uh, which I hated. Uh, but that was as far outside show business as I got for jobs to make money. You and I have a mutual friend, Shelly Herman, who was a page at NBC. Uh, you yes. were a page at CBS. Can you tell me what some of your responsibilities were as a page? Oh, sure. As a page, uh, you know, you seat the people, you give tours, uh, you take messages for the celebrities. I worked on Carol Burnett, Sonny and Cher, All in the Family, Good Times, What's Happening Now, uh, Mary Tyler Moore. I mean, I, I got the like the the primo part of the industry back when there really was television to watch, uh, which doesn't quite exist as much today. Shelley wrote a book about her life as a page. Yep. You have a lot of stories that you could put into a book. 
Might be in a page, not really. Um, you know, a few, but you know, they involve people that nobody knows about anymore. You know, Tennessee Ernie Ford and you know, people like that that I had interactions with that were kind of interesting. Shelley wrote a great book, uh, and she uh, had more and better stories than uh, I ever did as a page. My job as a page was get the hell out of being a page and move to the next step. Was it a time period? I remember she was telling us it was like an 18-month gig. Was it a certain amount of time also for you? I don't think CBS had that same rule. NBC had the 18-month rule, but at CBS, I know there were people there for years. Um, and I lasted about a year and got fired because I wouldn't cut my hair. And um, it wasn't a real reason I was fired. Um, I just wanted to get the hell out of there. And I figured if I didn't cut my hair, uh, they would fire me and it would push me to do what I needed to do next. And that's what happened. When I put out who's going to be on my show, lots of questions come in for me to ask you. And one of them, knowing that you were worked at uh, Carol Burnett's show, any mm -hmm. interaction with Carol in the cast? You know, Carol was always very shy. Uh, she happens to be a neighbor of mine now, which is crazy. Um, but... Um, I remember being invited my first year as a page, or the only year I was a page, to her Christmas party, which was at this beautiful yacht club in Marina del Rey with the uh, Count Basie Orchestra. And um, <laughs> Carol came in, welcomed everybody, said uh, Merry Christmas, and, and, and left. And uh, I remember I ate dinner and went to the restroom to do some things I needed to do there. When I came back, Lyle Wagner was hitting on my wife. Um, so, and I got to know Vicky when I was doing win, lose or draw. Um, and who else did I, you know, th but that was it. You know, I, I didn't really hang out with any of those people and, and, you know, not that any of them weren't nice. They were all very nice, but they sort of kept their distances from sort of pages and everybody else. Right. Yeah. I've had, um, I know Carol a little bit. I mean, she's you know, a lovely lady. Yeah. Early on radio DJ and stand up comedian. Where did the stand up comedian come in? I became a regular at the Comedy Store in 1976, uh, along with uh, Jay Leno, uh, Dave Letterman, Gary Shandling, Robin Williams. So I realized quickly that I wasn't very good. And um, I had a sort of a solid 15, 18 minutes, but it never grew from there. And Leno would come out and do new jokes, you know, on a nightly basis. Dave had a uniqueness to him. Robin, nobody had ever seen anything like him. Shandling was a, a, a great writer and he could look at my act and pull me aside and say you got too many words in that punchline take out this word and this word and it'll get a better laugh and he was always right he was just brilliant with that stuff started off as a writer um so i was around those guys and it was a learning uh situation where you find out who's really good and who's not and i realized i was better at being mark summers than i was being a stand-up comic you got into game shows there's a show called hot streak now if i read correctly was that a game show that was popular england london it was no uh, hot streak was uh, uh, yeah yeah I'm, I'm getting mixed up with another Jack Berry thing I did hot streak I think was on uh, overseas and Bruce Forsythe was this uh, gigantic star he was like the Bob Barker of England and he was the host and um, I used to do the run throughs for the camera um, uh, rehearsals and then I was the announcer on half the shows and uh, there was a terrific guy Bob Noah who was exec producer who really believed in, in me early on and would do anything he could to help me, uh, you know, get enough experience to become a host. Is that what led to Double Dare? Well, no, nothing led to Double Dare. And that was sort of a, a timing thing. Um, I was doing warm-ups on a million shows. Uh, wow. Star Search, Webster, What's Happening Now, Anything for Money, um, Alice. 
Uh, and I was working like crazy, making great money at that point, uh, and kind of felt that my uh, career as a host was probably not going to happen. They told me that I looked too young and to come back when I have gray hair and wrinkles. And um, it just wasn't working out. And I had opened up a smoked salmon business with a, a friend of mine from Cape Town, South Africa, I went to college with. And we were selling 80,000 pounds a month to the Price Club, which became Costco. And we were doing well at Trader Joe's. And I kind of figured I was going to be a smoked salmon salesman. And a friend of mine, Dave Garrison, who I knew in Indianapolis, was a ventriloquist, had moved to Los Angeles and was knocking around. I was hosting Monday nights at the Improv uh, for uh, you know new talent trying to get in. And Dave used to come and get depressed, quite honestly, about the whole situation because it was just kind of... It was miserable. And um, when you're trying to get up the ladder as a stand-up or anything in the talent world, it's brutal. And he said, hey, I got a call from this network I never heard of called Nickelodeon. They're doing a game show. I don't want to be a talent anymore. I want to be a producer. I'm going to change careers. So why don't you go instead of me? And they, they had already auditioned a thousand people in New York. And the reason they came to LA is they couldn't find anybody in the East Coast. And I was the first guy to audition and it just went well. And I remember coming out of that audition and going to a payphone because there were no cell phones and said to my agent, I got this. And he said, yeah, good luck. I have eight other clients going over there today. So my agent didn't even get me the audition. A friend of mine got me the audition. And I got three phone calls uh, as callbacks and knew they were going to start shooting in September. And the weekend before Labor Day, one thing I always did is I always got the uh, phone numbers of the exec producer and casting agent. And I called Mike Klinghoffer, who was the EP and I said, hey, uh, I know you're a couple of weeks away from doing the show. What's the status? He said, funny, we were just thinking about you. Um, we don't know if you guys are good with kids because during the auditions, they had grownups playing the party kids. And I said, well, I have two kids. And they said, yeah, what does that mean? And I said, I used to do magic shows for kids. And he goes, yeah, that means nothing. So I suggested that they bring me and whoever this other guy is. It was between me and another guy uh, to bring us to Los Angeles or to New York and, and uh, put us in front of a uh, you know, a studio audience with kids playing kids and let the best man win. He said, I'll call you back in an hour. Called me back and said, what are you doing over Labor Day? I said, coming to New York and hosting a, a double dare run through. He said, yep. So he flew me and whoever this other guy was. And we both did uh, the auditions. And uh, a few days later, he called and said, you got the job. You know what it is that you did possibly that got you that job? I do know exactly what I did. Uh, the other guy at the end of his audition looked at the camera and said, hey, you guys done? You want me to do anything else? And I looked at the camera and said, we'll be back with more Double Dare right after this. And I threw it to commercial. They thought that was more professional and it changed my life. There you go. You were also you were also a game show player. I remember Password Plus. You said Win, Lose, or Draw, Hollywood Squares. Do you have a favorite, do you have a favorite game show to appear on? You know, Password Plus was tough. They made me come to about a million office run-throughs before they even let me do it. I was probably the best at Win, Lose, or Draw. Um, Rosie O'Donnell and I, uh, who are still friends to this day, were very competitive. So they would have us on uh, a regular basis. And Squares was, you know, luck of the draw, where they put you on the box and how many times you got called on. And it was a guessing game. The thing about it was, you know, they would tell you, you know, be as convincing as possible and try and confuse the contestants. And I would convince these contestants all the time. I would make up such crap. And they believed me. And a lot of times they missed the secret square and... Uh, <laughs> And trips and money. And my wife would say to me, why do you do that? And I'd say, because that's my job. You know, if these people aren't smart enough to realize when I'm lying, then that's their problem, not mine. So I enjoyed doing that, actually. You posted on your Facebook page recently, uh, the commercial from Win, Lose, or Draw. It was nice to see that advertisement of you and Rosie back then. Crazy. Yeah. Good old YouTube. 
a lot of a lot of questions other than Double Dare was unwrapped. A lot of people always I loved unwrapped. I watched it all the time. Did you enjoy Do you love do it? yeah, it was a great show. I mean, who wouldn't want to know the history and the background of all the food that we eat? Did you enjoy travel? I mean, a lot of the scenes were you sitting in a diner talking about it. Did you do a lot of traveling around also to the companies? The first six, seven years, I never left a studio. Uh, we would do it in a diner in uh, Denver, and then we moved to uh, Pueblo, Colorado. And uh, towards the end, when they were trying to you know, shake it up, uh, we did go out on the road. And uh, I did start going to factories. But uh, the first seven years or so, I was reading a copy and I would say to the producers, okay, what factory did you go to? What happened? So I would have in my mind something that would actually make sense and I could read it convincingly. And we used to shoot, you know, five, six shows a day, four days, five days a week. So, you know, we got a lot done in a short amount of time, but that was a great job. And the fact that it's still on Discovery Plus and trends almost every night and day is pretty cool. One of the questions was, did you get a lot of samples to take home with you? <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you would tend to, you know, when we went to the Hershey factory, nothing was better than getting a warm Hershey bar uh, right off the assembly line. And the same thing at Tootsie Rolls. They just taste different when they come off the assembly line. Peeps factory was kind of interesting because they used to make those peeps by hand and it would take them 21 hours to make one peep. And uh, now they turn out a, a million a day. And um, <laughs> the first time I went there, because uh, I'd been there a couple of times and I, I said, can I see the actual machine that makes the peep? And first they were reluctant and then they showed it to me. I'm not allowed to talk about it, but it was pretty cool to see how it happened. And the amount of sugar that's on the floor that's being dumped on those things, it somehow uh, manages to get away. Uh, it's, it's all crazy to watch how those things are made. You've produced many shows, many that I've watched, uh, Dinner Impossible, The Grill Dads. You know, a lot of your producing involves food. And do you cook? <laughs> You're the first person who ever knew I produced the grill dance. Uh, I did uh, <laughs> dinner. Am, I, am I really? Yes, you really are. Then we weren't very successful on that. Um, I, I, I'm good at barbecuing. My wife is much better in the kitchen. Um, and uh, so she generally takes care of inside. I take care of outside. I'm not, I'm not jumping up and down about cooking. You know, uh, it's interesting. Bobby Flay has been a mentor for years and I'll call him up and say, I have a question. He'll say, Oh, come over. I'll make you lunch. And you go to Bobby's house and he loves cooking. He makes the most insane food ever. Uh, I just don't have that passion. It has to be in you. For cooking, I think it has to be in you. 100%. Yep. Yeah. I think for some people, including myself, I think it's like it's like therapy too. Really? It could, it could be calming. I find it calming. Interesting. Yeah. So let's talk today your new show, The Life and Slimes of Mark Summers, which is coming to the New World stage here in New York. Um, how did that show come to be? Very interesting. I um, went through some battles in my life, uh, got cancer, I have obsessive compulsive disorder, got in a car accident where I broke every bone in my face. And uh, theater was something I always wanted to do. Uh, I saw Fiddler on the Roof when I was 14 years old. And I said to myself, my God, I, how do you do that? What, what is that? I, in Indiana, I never went to a show and I go to New York the first time and see that. So I had this passion, but didn't know how to fulfill it. Went back to Indiana, uh, did shows at a place called uh, Footlight Musicals by by Birdie and you know all the things you do as a kid, and uh, got sidetracked doing DJ and magic and hosting TV shows. But I always had this theater thing in the back of my mind. And after the third sort of near death experience, um, I was talking to uh, Bruce Valanche who uh, was doing Hairspray, and he said, "Summers, you I've known you forever. You've been talking about it forever. Stop talking about it. And do it." 
And so I got obsessed with the producers. I was living in New York at the time and I saw it like 25 times. And Matthew Broderick and uh, Nathan Lane and uh, Mel Brooks bought the restaurant right next door called uh, Angus McKindos. Or as Richard Kind tells me, I'm mispronouncing it, it's McIndoe's, but one of, one of the names. And uh, I knew on the third floor there, uh, it was only for Broadway people. Those folks who were on Broadway after 11 o'clock were allowed to go up on that third floor, but I never was. And I tried to get up there many times and got stopped. And one night I sneaked by and got in there and there was Matthew and there was Nathan Lane and there was Mel and there was everybody. And I sat at the bar and I said, my God, I don't even know what to say or do I say anything to these people? And a guy came up to me and he said, you know, I could have been you. And I said, what the hell does that mean? He said, I auditioned for Double Dare and didn't get it. And I said, well, you and 2000 other people. I said, what do you do for a living? He said, I, uh, I'm a Broadway producer. I said, well, what do you produce? He said, well, currently I do uh, Drowsy Chaperone, but I've done many other shows. And I said, well, I'm going to get on Broadway and I know it's not that easy, but how can I get started? He said, give me your number. I just bought a, a theater in Long Beach Island, New Jersey. I don't know what we're doing this summer, but if something comes up that makes sense, I'll call you. And a month later, he called me. He said, we're doing Greece. Do you want to play Vince Fontaine? I said, yeah. Do I have to audition? He said, no, it's yours. I said, I'll take it. So um, I did that. And while I was there, I met a guy by the name of Drew Gasparini, who's very successful in New York now, writing shows and doing many other things. And he was backstage with me as a performer, 22, 23 years old. And we just hit it off. And we started hanging out together after the show was done in New York. And he said, I got to introduce you to this guy by the name of Alex Brightman. He's my partner on a lot of projects and you should meet him. So next thing you know, I'm hanging out with Alex Brightman and Drew Gasparini. You know, I'm in my 60s. They're in their 20s. And uh, I said one night, I want to do a one man show. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm taking these guys to dinner on a regular basis. And they're just asking me stories and they're taking notes. And we do this for about a year, year and a half. And then one day, Alex hands me a script and said, here's your one-man show. Said, Jesus, this is amazing. Now what do we do? He said, we have to find a place to do it. And they had another show called Make Me Bad that they were doing at Bloomington Play Playwrights Project in Bloomington, Indiana. And as they were leaving, when they were done with the project, uh, Chad Rabinovitz, who's our director and was running the theater, said, if you guys have any other projects, let me know. And they, he said, Drew and uh, Alex said, we're doing a a one-man show with Mark Summers, and Chad said, I'll take it. <laughs> and the next thing I know, we're doing it in Bloomington, Indiana, and then we went to the Adirondack Theater Festival, and then uh, COVID happened, and we just kind of put it to bed. And last year, about this time, I got a phone call from Chad, uh, our director, and said, got a couple of theaters that are interested in doing it uh, this last summer. I said, you know what? I don't think so. I think nobody cares about Mark Summers. I'm going to be 72. I don't know that I can remember all the lines. So let's just pass. And he goes, come on, let's do it. So I said, okay, we went to Mount Gretna in Pennsylvania. It was a disaster. Um, nobody came to the show and uh, it was a 700 theater. We were playing to 500 or to 50 people a night. Found out that the uh, promotion uh, director and guy who was supposed to be getting people uh, to the theater had quit. They didn't replace him. And it was a nightmare. So I was getting ready to cancel Buffalo. I figured, well, you know, this doesn't make any sense at all. And I said to Chad, let's just pull the plug. And he said, no, this is going to be a better experience. I said, he said, Mount Gretna was going to be good. And it was awful. He said, just do it. And I said, I'll do a week. And if it's not good, I'm going home. Well, Alleyway Theater in Buffalo was just so professional. They nailed it. And it was fantastic. Unbeknownst to me, uh, in the theater next to us, uh, the Mrs. Doubtfire tour opened. And the director, Steve Edlin, um, 
came to see the show and afterwards came up to me and said, this is amazing. Have you ever thought about doing this in New York? And I said, yeah, but I don't know anybody there. And he said, you do now. And uh, he started calling people. The uh, Schubert organization called me. I had a conversation with them. They asked who my producer was. I said, we don't really have one. They said, I'm going to connect you with one. And uh, a lady by the name of Lisa Dozier um, met with me while I was doing The View eight weeks ago. And uh, next thing I know, we're, we're booked at New World Stages uh, for 16 weeks. So it's, it's happened so quickly. I haven't even had time to, to get too nervous about it and uh, very excited about the whole idea of doing this. And Alex was the star of Beetlejuice and School of Rock. Am I correct? Currently doing Spamalot and uh, wrote my show. And uh, he's a superstar. He's, he's the young Nathan Lane. Uh, he just works all the time is an amazing writer, spectacular performer. And to be connected with uh, Alex Brightman and Drew Gasparini has just been a gift for me. As an audience member coming to see the show, what can I expect? Um, maybe not what you think. Uh, okay. it's, it's a pretty heavy show. Okay. I talk about a lot of stuff that uh, I had to deal with getting from point A to point B. But as far as I know, we are the only show in the history of theater where a game show breaks out in the middle and we get people from the studio audience and we come up and we actually play, uh, play double dare. And um, it, it's just, we've got some cool surprises coming up, but yeah, uh, a couple of times during the show, we bring people up from the audience to do some stuff. And, um, and then we switch right back to, you know, doing it. So it, it's a, Brightman has written what I consider to be a bulletproof show. It's interesting. It's unique. I don't think it's ever been done such as we're doing it. And I think people will be surprised uh, and most importantly, entertained. Well, I'm looking forward to it and I wish you know, great success. The show is the life and slimes of Mark Summers at the New World Stage. That's 340 West 50th Street. It's running from February 14th to June 2nd. That's 16 weeks. Get tickets at www.lifeandslimes.com. Mark, I appreciate you stopping by and I, I'll see you soon. I appreciate you asking me to do your show. You're fantastic at this. And uh, afterwards, come backstage and we'll, uh, we'll hang out. I will, I will definitely do that. And I will definitely, you know, best of luck and have a great run. Thank you, sir. You'd be well. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'm John Contratti, and you've been listening to another episode of Up Next.